0: your hosts
1: Ashley Bishop
0: how you doing Bishop
1: I'm pretty good pretty good I'm excited I got some time coming uh, off coming up so
0: very good and oh your other host that's that's me too I'm here and who else
1: do you have with you Dan
0: we got Moondog can you hear him
1: (laughs) he's making a special
0: guest appearance you might hear a bark or two today it's fine so Bishop It's been a while. It's really been a while since we've recorded. People might not know that because the episodes just keep flowing. How how you been? How are things?
1: Good. Crazy. Silly. I mean, you and I talked off air about Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. my situation with my multiple jurisdictions and uh, some of them not wanting to take animals due to money.
0: Well, we don't have to dive deep into that, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure if other people have similar situations where they work for You know, they may be one agency, but then they contract with others. They might feel your pain.
1: Yeah. Well, I can say that I have been able to work with other, as long as I can work with other organizations. We've talked about, you know, HSUS, ASPCA, whatever, specifically when I'm looking into deep cases and having to pair up maybe with a forensic veterinarian. Oh,
0: that's a uh, good segue right into today before we get yeah. started with that though I just want to make sure people check out the website humanemain.com please go to that part on wherever you're listening and rate the podcast. I think you have an opportunity to rate one to five just rate it we don't really I mean maybe we care what you rate it but <laughs> rating is good it, it just helps show that people are engaged and you know as as we continue to grow this podcast we just want to make sure we're here for our listeners and friends of the show so that's good stuff
1: and if you like the facebook page and get involved with that we actually have a chat option with everybody involved
0: yeah and that's a really cool thing that's the animal control report group and you can if you don't have access to it just shoot us a message Um, you can also hear moondog playing with his toy in the back because i'm too busy he's like dad oh wait here dad here i'll bring you the toy (laughs) uh so check that closed group out as well and there, you can just share stuff back to back. We, uh, you know, it's, it's easier that way than just, just going in those large ACO groups mm-hmm. where, you know, it kind of sometimes comments can get lost. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. Well, I'm excited about today's show. And I think as we tease the pick of the litter later, we have to kind of modify it a little bit, but we're still going to do it. So just roll with it, roll with that on the fly. I might have to jump in and ask a question or two.
1: And we may also have some other information at the end of the episode.
0: Okay. I like to hear it. Good deal. All right. Well, let's bring in our guest, Dr. Dr. This is why I told you you were
1: going to mess it up.
0: Dr. Martha Smith Blackmore. (laughs) She is an internationally recognized forensic veterinarian, right? Did I get that right? You talking to me? I'm talking to you.
1: yeah she's sure. trying to talk about you but i don't know his words get weird yeah, <laughs> but my yes words don't work
2: yes anymore. yes and thank you i'm i'm real excited to be here
0: we're excited to have you and you know i we know a little bit about you through just i i mean i found out about you through some trainings and things in the past uh and then we've had your co-author of a book that you wrote dr virginia maxwell on the show who i've known for a few years as well and we're just excited to, to have you and talk forensics we I know Bishop with the vet vet tech background has probably more, I would say like technical skills when it comes to that stuff, but I'm fascinated by forensic forensic. Awesome.
2: Awesome. It is a fascinating topic. But I I come at this um, from the perspective of uh, a veterinarian who's worked in animal sheltering for my entire career, and I've worked for private nonprofit organizations that do have police powers, and currently I work as the interim medical director for the City of Boston Animal Care and Control. So um, I've I've worked with animal control uh, agencies in a lot of different capacities.
0: How did you get started in it?
2: Um, My first uh, position out of vet school was an internship at Angel Memorial Animal Hospital, um, the MSPCA, Massachusetts SPCA. And they have uh, a special uh, law enforcement department with police powers granted by the state police. So as early as the beginning of my internship, officers were bringing me cases and saying, hey, doc, here's the animal. Uh, Here's what's going on with it. This is what's been alleged or this is what we think happened. What do you think? Do the injuries fit? So I got I got sucked in from the get-go. I loved thinking about those questions and trying to answer them. But at the same time, I was becoming – the more questions I answered uh, based on gut intuition combined with my training, the more concerned I was becoming that I could be contributing maybe to a false uh, allegation Mm -hmm. just because of personal bias. So I sought
1: more more training. So it's been an evolution. Was that something you saw for yourself going into – that school, is oh, that you ever no. wanted to see that? Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. When I was aiming towards vet school, I, I um, simply thought that I would help families enjoy healthy relationships with their pets. And um, the idea of um, dissecting animals in order to get into vet school was abhorrent to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, like I said, it's been a huge evolution to go from a point of being repulsed by the idea of opening animals and looking inside of them um, to uh, being drawn to it and understanding um, all the reasons why it's, it's necessary and important.
0: It's incredible yes. that there's so much that the body can tell you. Uh, and, and that's, I think one of the quotes when I was watching this video this morning, I was talking to you about Dr. Richard Stroud, and, and I think he said, let the body speak. Uh, which something... I thought you
1: were going to say, let the body hit the floor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, let the bodies hit the flow. That's um, awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's not beyond me to say stuff like that, but the body, like you learn so much. So there's there's really no bias when you let the body speak. Like that's what forensics is all about. You look at all the facts, you collect all the information. I'm sure there's always a like room for error, but for the most part, it's pretty solid.
2: It it is, um, it's just a matter of um, looking and allowing your findings to present themselves to you. So it's not a matter of uh, inventing information. It's it's just what is there and what can I learn from it? And uh, I love what you say about uh, Dr. Stroud. And it's actually a a saying in Latin, and I was trying to remember what it is, but it's, uh, oh, God, i forget i can't speak latin clearly but it's something about something in common let the dead dead speak for themselves and you'll see that inscribed or on a a plaque in many many um Hmm. uh, necropsy rooms and autopsy rooms because it is the guiding principle really
0: Hmm.
1: since having gotten into this do you have a particular i don't want to say genre but like type of incident that you gravitate towards more for investigation purposes? No, no,
2: no, no. I take the work as it comes to me. Um, it, the frequency with which I see cases, I would say is, uh, number one, blunt trauma, number two, starvation, abandonment. Um, and then kind of tied for third is everything else. Sharp force injury, projectile injury, sexual abuse, um, kind of the whole, the whole gamut of ways that people can unfortunately creatively harm animals
0: <sighs> so much so much harm animals and i think that's important to have somebody that's able to look at that look at that with the close eye that you have is there a team too or are you the only forensic veterinarian currently at the shelter
2: so i have a private consulting business that i perform uh, post-mortem exams and serve as an expert witness consultant. Um, to, To agencies all over the country. So the work that I do with the city of Boston, yeah, I have a vet tech there and I have animal control officers that can assist. But when I'm at uh, my own facility doing my own work, I am... um, the transport. I'm the, uh, you know, at, at the medical examiner's office, they have a team of folks who undress the bodies and prepare it, do all the body radiographs. I do that. I shave my animals. I do my radiographs. I lug these animals up and downstairs to wow. radiology. And, and um, every once in a while, if there's an animal over 60 pounds or so, I'll have to hire an assistant just because it's not good for me to try and do all that work on my own. <laughs>
0: and is that the website? Is at vetinvestigator.com.
2: Betinvestigator.com. And you will see if you look at uh, the team, you will see there is a team. And these are all folks who are um, expert in their own field and who have offered themselves up as regular consultants to me. So in addition to me, there's um, a police officer out of Denton, Texas. There's um, a federal agent Um a retired federal agent with expertise in forensic investigations wow. and you'll see see other folks but they're not we're not sitting under one roof all at one time um, sure going okay boss what are we doing today
0: so if i'm an officer in do they have to be local for your services so let's say i'm in hmm. colorado well yeah i am in colorado Let's, <laughs> see,
1: let's see that. Uh, for example that's let's a say. great
0: example huh? <laughs> that's where i'm at currently yeah so say there's a colorado situation and I need your advice, or I'm you know, i like, hey, I know that there's a forensic veterinarian that could potentially help on this case. How does that work?
2: So, I will talk to anybody just to get an idea of what they're dealing with, and then help them find the best avenue um, to pursue, say, they need a postmortem exam, or they need a clinical exam. Um, and usually, because of the expense and the difficulty of shipping frozen remains it's going to be the solution is going to be working with somebody more locally however with a cat small dog shipping isn't a big deal and so it's very easy for me to be the the primary uh, the person performing the primary exam on those animals but as I said I'm really happy to consult with anyone and at no charge just you know you're facing this challenge let me help you figure out some solutions or, or suggest some approaches
0: all right. For our listeners, just so they know, vetinvestigator.com is the website and they can contact you through there.
2: Yes, I have a uh, Contact Us uh, web form page.
0: Awesome. Good stuff.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the Animal Dough Project?
2: Oh, I'd love to. Thank you for asking. So um, Puppy Doe was a very notable case that I was involved with before I established my independent consulting business. And she was a pit bull type dog that had been... Oh, I love that. Thank you. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Pit bull type dog. She had been very horribly maltreated, um, tortured really, and then discarded on a city street. She had no tag, no chip, no tattoo. Um, There was no way of recognizing who she was. And I made a very deliberate decision early on in her case to dub her puppy doe because i did not want her to be viewed by members of the public or people who might hold bias against breed types to see her as oh just a pit pit bull bull. and so i I very deliberately called her puppy doe to strip it down to the basics she was an unknown young dog and um through fantastic teamwork with the uh, norfolk county district attorney's office the city of quincy police massachusetts uh, detectives and and others in in that agency um this case was solved and this case in, entailed financial crimes, um, and, uh, just a plethora of crazy stuff. Um, so, uh, it, it was the case for me that was very seminal and made me think, you know what, at the time I was vice president of animal welfare at a large private nonprofit animal, uh, welfare organization. And I said to myself, Lots and lots of people can be an administrator, but I'm doing something here with veterinary forensics to help move the science forward, help move the methodology forward. So I'm gonna step away from this high paying job. Yeah, I cried a little bit about that. I'm gonna step away from this and focus more fully on the veterinary forensics practice. And what I have encountered with animal control agencies and police agencies is oftentimes they have no budget to do a a, Mm -hmm. um, forensic exam and even more so if the animal's an unknown animal and there is no suspect like almost never will a chief or someone say oh yeah sure go ahead spend you know 500 if it was a body
0: if it was a (laughs) human body right they'd be like oh And, and i get it
2: Exactly. And that's because, you know, it's it's, um, the way our systems are set up. When a unknown person is found deceased on a public street or in a forest or wherever they may lie, they are collected and they're brought to the um, medical examiner's office and they undergo an autopsy to figure out who they are and what they died from. And this is paid for by the state so Mm -hmm. the government or in some states it's by the county but the government has a mechanism for picking up those bodies and delivering that work that's informational we don't have that in the animal world so every case is a challenge of how are we going to get the money to get this this investigated
0: Mm. do you think we'll ever see a time where that is
2: well here's the thing yeah i'm a big optimist so i'm going to say yep Absolutely. Someday everyone's going to understand how animal maltreatment is part of violence, the whole spectrum of violence. So we need to solve these cases because we need to see who's harming animals may also be a risk for harm against the rest of us. So let's invest in this and let's pursue these cases with Equal. I'm going to make up a word: vigorosity, vigorousness. I, love it. I <laughs> vigorosity. make up words all the time. Martha, yeah. you
0: might have to be a regular on the show because <laughs> we talk alike. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, and we'll get to your book here in a second. And, sure. and for those those uh, who may have missed it, we had an episode with your co-author, Doctor Virginia Maxwell, back in September of 22, and we talked briefly about Puppy Doe as well, and, and kind of how she got involved with you, etc. So I think it's a cool way to tie everything together and, and just know that that work's being done, whether you're doing it, whether the university of Florida, ASPCA, whether, you know, other forensic veterinarians are out here doing like, there's a lot of work. And I think to me, what you said earlier really speaks volumes is go to her website. You know, if you're listening, go check out vetinvestigator.com. If you have a question, just even a question on a case, like, Hey, can I say, can I send you radiographs? Like, is that something you can look at?
2: Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And another point is um, the Association of Shelter Veterinarians recently released their second edition of Guidelines for Standards of Care in Animal Shelters. And in that revised document, they have introduced a section on veterinary forensics because they recognize that shelter veterinarians are often the local resource to answer questions. And so there is encouragement that all shelter veterinarians have some basis in veterinary forensics and understand a little bit about how to get the work done.
1: I would say that, I mean, I remember I've been with my department for 10 years coming this July, and the reason they uh, decided to start a humane officer program, because they didn't have one, it was just our local law enforcement taking animal cases, was because of a dog that um, she was beaten, abused, forced. To drink Drano and like all kinds of things. Um, mm. But when her body was taken to the vet clinic, they didn't know what to do with her. And yeah. I don't believe they got much information from her and then they had her cremated. Oh. Because nobody had any idea <laughs> of oh. what needed to be done.
2: I, I hope that's changing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. and, And I think one of the big problems has been the way pathology has been taught to veterinarians or veterinary students, in that it's taught by academic. Um, veterinary pathologists who are used to looking at pristine tissues under a microscope and used to answering questions about uh, how aggressive is the cancer. So I need to see the detail in the nucleus of the cell to see what the you know the genetic material is doing in that particular cell. And when we get to forensic medicine, it's an entirely different ball of wax. We should be looking at every animal, whether it's extremely decomposed, whether you know it's a, a pile of soup plus bones or whether it's uh, desiccated and mummified, because if you don't look, you don't know what you might be missing. And there's always opportunity to answer some really important questions, regardless of the state of the animal. But vet students aren't taught that. They're taught a different approach that if an animal's decomposed, it's, it's too, you know, if it's, if it's slippery, if the hair is slipping off, it's too late to do, a, a, mm. and I put too late into quotation marks, too late to do a necropsy. But it's like, wait a minute, if somebody's found dead at an arson scene and the body is charred, And there's, Mm -hmm. like, you can't do a traditional autopsy. You can't cut open the tissues and look at them because it's char. They're still picking that body up and doing radiographs to see if there's um, any kind of forensic information there, be it a bullet or, you know, something else. You always look.
0: Always. Always look. Do you find, like, okay, with the current state of, like, the veterinary world, there's not enough veterinarians, period. (laughs) Right? And so, like, how does that translate how does that translate to getting more forensic veterinarians? Like how do we encourage people to get into this profession to understand the benefits of the profession, et cetera, and how it helps just in general to our, our overall community having these types of jobs?
2: Well, I do think that shelter medicine is going to be part of the Avenue to providing more forensic services. Um, Any vet that works in shelter medicine at a healthy organization learns that this is a fantastic job because it can be Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. You get to practice veterinary medicine, but you don't have to handhold every time you diagnose an ear infection. You don't have to teach, you know, how to do an ear clean, everything else. So, I hope that more veterinarians are attracted to shelter medicine for the community good and for their own personal mental health and and job satisfaction. And then if they fold veterinary forensics into that and if the agencies see the value in providing that service to their communities, we will have a growing and someday sufficient cadre of veterinarians to get this work done.
1: Veterinarians and and vet techs and stuff have to have, um, you know, continuing education credits every year, every couple of years, depending on your state. Do you think that there's more of the forensic continuing education coming around? Is that something we can see for the future that, you
2: know, I I see uh, veterinary forensics being presented at the AVMA annual conference at um, vet, vet, not Vetfolio, that's their program, North American Veterinary Conference, I forget what they renamed themselves, VMX, um, and various state and regional um, veterinary CEs are beginning or not beginning ever since Melinda Merck started um, her work and um, sharing it. She, she was sharing it for, for a long time, really beating this drum on her own, but there are more and more veterinarians that are doing this work. So they're more available to do presentations. So I'm hoping that it becomes a regular, you know, Oh, I can do cardiology neurology or, or veterinary forensics. You know, what am I going to do this, this month or this year with my CE credit time.
0: And just a shout out Melinda Merck, she was on How long ago did we have her on Bishop? Maybe a year, maybe. Yeah. And she had some great information too. And one of the things I want to see, do you know of any course? Like I want to see people to be able to like major, major bachelor degree, whatever, get a, get a bachelor's degree in like shelter, not just medicine, but like animal welfare shelter, shelter version, which encompasses everything. Right. So shelter, animal control, et cetera. I think that'd be a cool start to like, Getting more and more professional in this in this field.
2: You know, I don't know of any. Um, I'm sure they're out there, and we'll probably hear about it after I make the statement. But I don't know of any general animal welfare you know, applied animal welfare programs for undergrad. Um, but certainly there are there are uh, master's degree programs out there. Like uh, Duquesne has their program. That's like outside been, of Pittsburgh. Yeah, they have Duquesne a- University. Yes, sir. Oh, They they have a program with, I think it's with HSUS, but you can get a master's in, um, you know, animal welfare, like administration of the animal welfare organization. And I I only know this because a colleague of mine did that master's program.
0: That's awesome. I'm going to look into it. For those of you that aren't from Pittsburgh area, you might call it Duquesne, and that's okay.
2: <laughs> or or Duquesne is what I said the first time. Or Duquesne, right yeah. <laughs> like,
0: all of that stuff is we'll, we'll accept it for now. Um,
1: um, but, I'm I'm sorry, Dan. I'm still not going to accept your version because it's you.
0: But it's called Duquesne, like <laughs> oh, Duquesne. Yeah, sure? it's just it's right there in the heart of the city, actually. Oh, but and really then, cool. and then
2: in terms of uh, vet techs, um, vets, ACOs, I think. Um, the um, VMX has a program called Vetfolio, and there is an online training program you can get certificates through that is um, established and run by Melinda mark and I think that is fantastic program It's less uh, down into the scientific weeds of each individual um, forensic specialty like entomology or botany or you know but it gives you all the basics that you need to be a good practitioner to say, okay, I should be collecting that evidence and sending it to the specialist. The the master's programs at University of Florida and now Florida International University are um, in forensic science and they are quite a bit more detailed. They're more labor intensive and, and expensive for a student to undertake, but they're also great programs.
0: Tomahawk Live Trap has been manufacturing humane animal capture and handling equipment since 1925. They work directly with animal control officers around the world to develop and improve their products so that they're as safe and efficient as possible. Save 10% on your next order by using discount code DCACREPORT. report. Visit them online at www.livetrap.com or call them at 1 800 272
1: 8727. I also need to do to keep up my, my CVT. Um, some of the, I still have to get race credits. So I'm going to be looking on that folio and see if, what's on there. Cause if I can even just, I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I have reached out to um, get assistance on certain cases. I talked about the at the beginning, but if I can even help walk my local vets through, Hey, I exactly. need this, that, or the other exactly. thing. Exactly. That, and when I um, address
2: animal control officers and vet techs, that's exactly what I tell them that their role can be so important because in, in the veterinary exam, they can be asking those pertinent questions Did this hurt? How do you know? Yeah. Can you write that down? You, because there are details in a forensic exam that the veterinarian may be performing and assessing in their mind and they and they know in their head what's happened to the animal but they're not writing their impressions down or how they drew a conclusion down in the veterinary record and that's really important because you can't just skip from the beginning to the end without explaining the middle
1: it's funny you say that i actually had this was many years ago now um, i was at a preliminary hearing and i had the prosecutor um, ask me something about well or I'm sorry the defense attorney well you said that the dog was in pain how do you know that what qualifiers do you have that you know you know that information and i just looked at him i'm like i'm a certified veterinary technician with an associate's degree with in veterinary technology no further questions. <laughs> well,
2: that's nice that it stopped there. You know, yeah. sometimes it goes further. And and so to, to be able to articulate posture, response to palpation, facial expression, response to pain medications, all that stuff, that's information that you as a vet tech can draw out from mm-hmm. the veterinarian performing the exam and ask them to write it down.
0: Yeah, I, I had a conversation. I actually was at the Midwest Veterinary Conference a few weeks ago in Columbus and I met Dr. Allison Lash. She's the uh, head vet of the Cleveland Animal Protection League, which is a nonprofit up there in Cleveland. And she does forensics on all the animals there too, kind of a situation that I think you're in in Boston. And and we had that conversation about making making reports readable by just the common person, right? Because you, all three of us know what lateral recumbent means, right? But if we're talking to a neighbor and you're like, oh yeah. So yesterday I went to this house and the dog was lateral on the, you know, and they'll be like, huh, (laughs) what are you talking about? And there's way more, you know, in depth that both of you can go that I can't even go like when you're talking about certain things. So then I have to Google it when I'm writing reports to try to put it in layman terms. Right. And so that's something that's important when writing your reports and doing expert testimony is being able to translate, if you will.
2: Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I mentioned what I talk about with ACOs and uh, vet techs, when I talk to veterinarians, I talk about you have to to translate your own language into lay language. So you have to write your detailed veterinary records, but you also need to provide a supplemental report or a summary report that clearly articulates what you saw, what you're thinking, why you think it in a way that your uncle could pick it up and read it and make sense of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super important. Let's talk. Can we talk a little bit about the book that you and Dr. Virginia, Virginia Maxwell worked on?
2: I'd love to. All
0: right. Just... Well, I guess we're going to get a, a. It sounds like we're going to get a media copy, Bishop. <laughs> 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 we could just have you back on the show and then we could discuss what we learned.
2: That sounds like a great idea. And, you know, it's not without any small degree of trepidation that. I I can't speak for, for for Virginia, but I released this book. It's called Investigating Animal Abuse Crime Scenes: A Field Guide, and it's being put out by um, Taylor and Francis CRC Press. Um, But, you know, I'm concerned that a lot of what I wrote was based on my own experience in over 20 years of assisting in animal cruelty investigations. But I know there are things I don't know. And I know there are things that, you know, when you pick it up or when Bishop picks it up, you're going to read it and go, why didn't she write about this? Or why didn't she write that? I'm going to want to hear that. Because as soon as we collect enough of that kind of feedback, we're going to be releasing an improved second edition, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. So um, it, yeah. if um, I don't know uh, about your website, if you can post it, but there is a um, 20% discount ab- available for this uh, text with a code. So we can make that available to you.
0: And oh, we yes, can absolutely perhaps, post it. You bet.
2: Yeah. yeah. Perhaps, yes, we can get you a copy so you can do a critique.
0: <laughs> Isn't that? There, yeah, there's a thing. There's media copies, right? Yeah, We're media absolutely. now, Bishop. Yeah. And so we should get 100%. all the books. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely Uh, so yeah well let's talk offline we'll get you we'll get the discount code and we'll put you up there Uh, we have uh, a great space for it so we'd love to have it up there and I think it's great for like departments will I shouldn't say will because I don't know what people's situations are like but a lot of departments would likely pay for it because it's related directly to work and it's yeah and what
2: we what we intentionally did you know there's quite a few uh, textbooks now for veterinary forensics, but there wasn't a book that was really oriented to the uh, scene responders, the uh, crime Mm -hmm. scene investigators, So, but this book has been put together for forensic scientists, veterinarians, animal control officers, first responders, and it's meant to be useful if, oh God, I'm going to a scene with an animal and I've never been to one before. Pick it up and flip to that chapter or get the electronic version and open it on your phone or your iPad Mm -hmm. and get some guidance on what to do in this particular circumstance. And at the back, we have appendices with checklists and uh, diagrams and forms that can be used to help uh, nice. ensure that you're doing a nice you know a, a thorough job with that scene investigation
1: that's awesome i'm i'm excited for it hey. because I, we we talk about it frequently on the show that not everybody has um the same kind of experience the same amount of experience and the fact that some places you get handed a catch pole and keys to a vehicle and told <laughs> hey go out there and work. You, you don't have any training, but just go do it. Exactly. Um, so having something that is tangible that they can keep, everybody can keep with them. And that's fantastic. And I love the idea that, you know, you guys are open to um, critiques on it or, or new ideas Absolutely. because things are always changing in this field. Um, and collective knowledge is so much more powerful
2: than any individual. Exactly.
0: So much so. more power. Is there is there a chapter in this book that talks about taking blood from to to help determine blood force trauma in an animal? So this has been talked no. about a lot.
2: No, tell me about this. Where's this? Wait, what? I don't yeah. know.
0: This has been talked about all the time, and I hear it all the time. Yeah. Where it's like, if an animal is abused, you can draw blood. If it's like physical abuse, blood force trauma that it, bishop help me out here that it can cause like liver enzymes. Elevation. It, thank you elevation oh,
2: sure. you can have elevations of ck which is a, a muscle enzyme and you can have liver enzyme elevations you can even have um some reddening of the serum but those are all non-specific findings so it, uh, it it's they're not going to give you the correlation it, it's supportive and if you're having to put together a circumstantial case for whatever reason that's an important piece but it couldn't be the whole evidence it couldn't be the whole right. basis of a charge
0: okay but it okay that makes sense and but, i, I but think did we people... cover that
2: i don't know if we covered
0: that
1: oh, <laughs> but well there's your we first critique
0: with... <laughs> doc you better revise that uh, <laughs> What about? I actually what, worked.
1: Well, I actually worked at yeah. Case, where we had a cat that died of blunt force trauma. Who uh, I was like three weeks prior actually had had blood work done, and unfortunately, it was another one of those. We didn't have the body any longer. And when I had talked to a different veterinarian, they're like, "Oh, you don't have the body because we could have actually compared the blood work from." Prior prior yeah. to this, to again just give some more support.
2: Yeah, that paired testing that would have been awesome. Yeah. What's
0: your thought on doing infrared photographs of an animal that I have on?
2: ever since I've thought about, ever since I've learned about like the FLIR uh, photography, I've always wanted to use it, um, and I think it has great promise. But the um, the versions of the cameras that can pick up the really finite changes the temperature gradation changes are extremely expensive and there's nothing that's affordable enough for uh, any one department to pick one up and use it
0: okay so the one that you can plug into your cell phone camera thingy I
2: don't think it's sensitive enough like I think your hands would be more sensitive if you could palpate the animal and Hmm. feel like comparatively for swelling on one side versus the other and heat on one side versus the other I think your hands are actually going to tell you more information than than those cameras but I could be wrong
1: I have been, I did one, you know, brief hour-long training about it, um, and I had gone back to my department. We actually have one for uh, fire um, investigations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't, There, there isn't a lot of structural knowledge out there yet about it, that they were able to give us, okay, if you have this, it means this. We were kind of told, like, if you have the camera, you need to kind of play with it. You need to learn what baselines are, exactly. take different animals out. And so you know, have
2: to create your own data set for validation, yeah. which is a lot of, a lot of work. It um, is. <laughs> and, and when you talk about the fire scene, right, if you're looking for occult, cult um, like glowing wires or whatever's behind the wall, Um, You're talking about a temperature differentiation between maybe the ambient temperature is 72 degrees and that thing is what like 400 degrees or more. So like, you Mm -hmm. have a really huge step. But when you're talking about the heat of inflammation from an injury, it's only going to be a couple degrees so it, it needs much more sensitivity and needs to be tuned in to that degree of sensitivity. Yeah. But, you know, they use FLIR technology for um, detecting, because when cows have ouchy feet, they don't produce as much milk. Mm-hmm. So oh. dairy barns and a cow won't always show you that her foot is hurting until it's hurting really bad. And so they use it as a screening tool when the cows are being marched in or out of the, the milking parlor to see, is, you know, how's everybody's feet today? So, nice. um, you know, it, it, if it can be used to that degree, I know it's got utility for us in, in in our forensic work on animal cruelty cases it's just that the technology isn't affordable but i love the idea you have bishop about encouraging folks to talk to their um fire department if they're with a municipal agency and see if there would be some opportunity to collaborate to use that technology
0: that's awesome yeah bishop you have all the good ideas (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's why you keep me around dan (laughs)
0: Well, I, I think, I think you stay to help keep this show around because <laughs> otherwise I don't know how many people would be listening. Doc, question about something Melinda Merck said, and I haven't, I should just go back to the episode and listen to it. We, it's a two part episode and she talked about rib fractures old and new. Is that a pretty, she said, Bishop, do you remember she said something about the likelihood of that being not blunt force trauma was very mm-hmm. slim?
1: Yes, it which I've actually run into this and it's because of a lot of times because of the flexibility of the ribs.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's
1: a hundred percent agree
2: with her um, because a, Dog and cat ribs do not break easily. And when there's a focal break that only impacts one or two ribs, the likelihood of it being from anything accidental is very, very low. And then when you have a rib with a callus on it showing that it had that kind of impact and it was healing from it, and you have a fracture that's more recent, it's like, wow, not only did this very focused impact, hit this animal once it was mm-hmm. multiple times separated by a degree of weeks or months. So that's highly suggestive of what, uh, Helen Monroe, uh, who's a, um, veterinary pathologist in the UK, um, called the battered pet syndrome. And it was based on a paper that was done in human pediatrics here in the U.S. called the battered, battered child syndrome, where oh, yeah. one of the findings is bones with calluses and then new new fractures as well. Or old bruises plus new bruises. Wow.
0: Let's I, let's switch it up. I, I want to switch it up to the pick of the litter because that's sad stuff. I don't really want to keep talking about battery pet syndrome. <laughs> I never knew that was a thing, but we're going to look her up too because that sounds fascinating. Um, it's M U N
2: R O. Yeah, sorry. M
0: U N. Okay, just so I yeah. spell it right. Sure. Thank you. So with the pick you of won't the litter, pronounce it right. That's for sure. Whatever. I'll call her Munro. <laughs> it's fine that's fine this is true this is very true with the pick of the litter it's something that we just ask you questions i'm gonna jump in because there's some questions that probably like don't go with what you do and so bishop um take Mm -hmm. it away and then i'll just jump in with like the emergency lights etc
1: okay (coughs) excuse me so first question real simply (laughs) nice dan uh what is your official title president
0: <laughs> I, I made the thing that big for president okay cool <laughs> i thought it was going to be a well, long pre- title so I...
2: I'm, I'm, no i'm i'm president of my consulting business but then i'm yeah. interim veterinary medical director for the city of boston and i'm adjunct assistant clinical professor at the Cummings school of veterinary medicine at tufts university so if you want a lot all of words right. then i you got go. space for
0: all that we'll just do president yo that yep all mm-hmm. right
1: <laughs> hold on we're, we're gonna pause here for a second dan pause. tufts university as in t- the tufts scale
2: yes yeah that was developed um by a graduate student and dr gary patronik who is one of my mentors
1: so what is yeah. your feeling between using the tufts scale versus only the purina scale
2: so the tough scale for scoring. body condition scoring, yeah. I don't use it at all because it's it's backwards. It only goes to the skinny half Five, of right? the, the scale. Yeah. So okay. I disregard the body condition um, score part of that. And I also disregard the the weather scale because it's mm-hmm. confusing and it's not really validated. Um, if anyone I, has ever seen
0: of, that, you would think I made it because that's how confusing It's complicated. It is. Yeah, yeah oh, it's I mean, complicated.
2: But the two parts of it that I love and I use all the time are the environmental scale and mm-hmm. then the animal uh, condition scale. So, talking about the degree of matting and the mm-hmm. covering of orifices with mats and the presence of foreign material and then the environment with junk that the animal could injure itself on and those kinds of things. I think those two scales are really helpful. And I love to use that language and quote it in my reports because it's not just my opinion of. Oh, it's a little bit dirty but you know animal yards are dirty it's like no here's a university that says this is an unacceptable level of filth do
1: you think that working there and in collaboration with the um create wow i'm channeling again here creators could is there any chance we could get that updated to it be more inclusive of you know the wide range of body condition and then taking out that weather because i i I do think it gives a much deeper explanation to the prosecutors. It is just on it's
2: scene. going to require an academic individual who's interested in putting in the time to do the research. And unfortunately okay. Gary Petronic is no longer at uh, the Center for Animals and Public Policy at, at the Cummings School. Okay. So it you know hopefully maybe somebody listening who's been playing around with the idea of doing um, A a PhD or a master's project on something like this would say, "Hey, I would love to take that and, and polish it, make it more usable. So, put put your tassels on. Put no, (laughs) put your square black
1: caps on. Wow!
0: I mean, college is expensive, yo. So I get what you're saying. Oh my god!
1: (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah. Oh, uh, I, am, I
0: am a
2: fairly deep shade of red right now. I'll
0: have <laughs> you know. That's why we only do audio here, you know. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, I think that would be fantastic. I think it'd be incredibly helpful and great to update that for use. So, anybody listening, uh, reach out to us. We can help you with ideas if, if that's a project you want.
0: I'll help um, with the project okay. too. Yeah.
1: Huh?
0: I said, I'll help with the project too. If Tufts yeah. can make it as ugly as they did, I can make it just as ugly. So oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Dan can just give them, let them write some words. It'll be okay. Um, All right. How many times have you been bitten? Ooh, great question.
2: Um, Dozens. I don't know. I've been uh, to the emergency room for antibiotics. Hmm two times for cat bites i once had a ferret dangling from my wrist for a few minutes (laughs) and that was awfully painful and you know it's really hard when a ferret's just hanging there like you know how do you get it off without causing you know it harm so i ended up on my knees crawling over to the sink and turning the water on and, and rinsing my wrist and that did cause the ferret to let go but that was awful and the first time I was bit I was five years old and there was a miniature poodle named Henry and I wanted to play fetch with his bone I did not know that you don't take bones from dogs and so I took a oh. bone and he, and he took a crunch that was my Fair. first trip to the emergency room he gave me stitches
0: oh Henry right,
2: God bless Henry rest in peace Henry
0: yeah
1: But it was provoked, Dan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Sure, sounds like it.
1: What is your spirit animal?
2: It is a um, an otter. Oh, Oh.
0: yeah. Okay, that's cool. You know, uh, have you ever worked on an otter?
2: No, I wish I had. But floating on my back, uh, snacking on clams, knocking rocks together, putting them in my armpits, playing—that's all. That's all me.
0: Sounds like a New England thing to do.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Rocks in my armpits. (laughs) What is your go-to snack? Ooh, I love,
2: love, love, but don't eat Doritos. So if I'm at a party, I'm going to slide over to the Dorito bowl and, and chow like nobody's business. But... I try to avoid dairy products. I try to avoid those simple carbs. So I don't really, like, if anybody asks me, I don't eat Doritos, but you might see the telltale (laughs) dust on my face. Fair.
1: (laughs) Have you ever adopted an animal, um, maybe rescued on duty, or in your case, you know, had the opportunity to work with or anything like that? Sure. Um I
2: currently have a French bulldog with uh, we call her wait for it Frenchie and uh she, <laughs> Did well, she, have she was she was <laughs> no, she's tan, but she was she was a uh, a foster failure. She was adopted and returned about five times, um, and so I took her home to figure out what because nobody could really nobody really articulated why it it wasn't working, and it you know it's kind of those like we didn't know she was deaf, so she was hard to train, and here we are thirteen years later, and she's still not completely housebroken, and she's got tons of food allergies and chronic ear infections, and she's afraid of men, and she can't do stairs, and she hates to do doorways so she's just complicated Frenchy. but yeah, Franchi we love her she's yeah. not real
1: when you're getting into those people who are probably breeding dogs that don't have any idea what they're doing. They just want to see dollar signs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She was out of a dachshund hoarding
2: case. so She was the one oh. French bulldog among a bunch of... Oh, yeah, so
1: that that gave her
2: some food aggression. Forgot about oh, that. Yeah, I would no. <laughs> so.
1: My big old 80-pound bull thingy, he's a, he's a meat missile, was afraid of the pack of four dachshunds at doggy daycare. Exactly. So and
2: I have tons of of animals from law enforcement cases that have been re- rehabilitated and adopted to friends because I wanted I like I couldn't let go but I couldn't afford so it's like <laughs> will you please take this dog so I can love him forever? Aww. <laughs> I want to see That's him awful. on the weekend.
0: Yeah. Exactly. All right, my turn. I'm going to jump in and and this okay. is now choices. So we're going to switch it up. Uh, we ask officers certain questions, but this this doesn't really apply. So you have to choose one. You have to okay, autoclave or an X-ray machine.
2: X-ray machine,
0: okay, because you can hand scrub everything. Good.
2: Well, I'm usually working with dead stuff,
0: so it doesn't (laughs) matter. Reality
2: doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) I should have thought about that question a little bit better. What is wrong with me? Uh, (laughs) uh, That's funny. All right, let's think about this next question. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, If you could teach any class at a university what would it be
2: um i think i think it would be animal welfare
0: okay just like a general animal, animal welfare?
2: Well, I would take it the whole spectrum of the systems we have to the systems we should have. The interface, the link, all that stuff. And then pushing the boundaries of um, animal law and animal rights. Um, sort of the, okay. the whole kit and caboodle.
0: Got it. No, that, that's a great answer to that. All right. Next mm-hmm. question. Your favorite tool while you're doing a necropsy.
2: My brain. Wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's a yeah, great answer. It's, all about, it's all, all about being thoughtful and reflecting and, and not going too fast because you just have to think about what you're seeing.
1: You're, you're the yeah. you're bones of the vet world. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe.
0: <laughs> all right. Last question. This does apply. Uh, if you could do a ride along with anyone in the world, living, dead, etc., who would it be?
2: Oh, dang. Gotta do a ride along. Yep. I think I want to do it with you and Bishop. I really (laughs) no seriously, I've enjoyed talking with you, and I think we could go on talking for you know a day long ride along and still be enjoying
1: ourselves. Hey, if you're ever in Wisconsin,
0: yeah. All right. Next time you're in in Colorado, you can sit in my office with me because that's where most of my time is. (laughs) (laughs) But we could plant something. We could like go plant a dead body. We actually, (laughs) you know, we (laughs) do our occasional dead bodies. We'll just take okay, one that you yeah. know died of we'll take one that died of old age and then we'll like place it somewhere and then we'll just see, you know
1: do do a mock trial for or a mock situation for mock your scene. staff. Yeah, we gotta yeah. get the ground
2: penetrating radar. Mm-hmm. There's a lot We're of stuff you can deep. do. Drone, drone mm-hmm. yes, do d- drone documentation of your um crime scene and GPS stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: That would be insane. We should te- treat it like it's a real crime scene, not just an animal crime right that's
2: exactly the that's the that's that's what i'd like to see honestly and there's
1: a difference
0: well to some, um, remember that case i talked about uh right before i left denver where that dog was bludgeoned to death with a crowbar and mm-hmm. police went on scene and walked over and was like oh it's dead peace <laughs> and mm-hmm. then waited for the morning with all the snowfall and tire marks and shoe marks and you know just things that could have yeah. been used as evidence
2: yeah picked up you know. the crowbar say hey look at this they probably hit it with this
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yep uh, so yeah that's right
1: yeah, not, law so, enforcement. <laughs>
2: not not to be self-promotional or anything but that was again one of those um philosophies behind this investigating animal re- abuse crime scenes at field guide we we know that animal control officers and, and vet techs have tremendous amount of inf- uh, training and lived experience about animals and we know that uh Detectives and investigators and police departments and sheriff's offices have a great deal of information about how to properly approach and process a crime scene, but to put those two together and give in one resource a tool that helps the animal folk do a better job at the crime stuff and help the crime stuff crime folk do a better job at the mm-hmm. animal stuff then you know it's a it's a it kind of let's knit the worlds together because it should be as you say bishop the same exact approach
1: well yeah, and you know, I, I'm thinking back to a case that I'm currently waiting for charges to go through on, and it is no different than a vet tech. A vet tech is, you know, your nurse, your um, your uh, pharmacy tech, your radiology tech, your surgery tech. You know, they have many hats that they wear. It's no different in The ACO world, because, yeah, okay, we animal handling, but let me tell you, I did all the deep digging and I had the um, detectives looking at me and going, wait, you're doing all of this work? This case didn't get passed on to us? No, I did all of that work. I'm doing as much as the detectives are right? Mm -hmm. utilizing the same resources and, you know, just like patrol." officers and then doing some of that veterinary world stuff of knowing when an animal is injured not feeling well things like that we wear many hats
2: very many agreed hats. agreed yeah. it's a, it's a great um, career path for uh, those of us that are affected by ADHD <laughs> That's it me. have it Yep
0: <laughs> Yep that's definitely me Bishop, you teach something for the end of the show. What are you talking about? What do you got?
1: Well, we have our trip to New Orleans.
0: It's New we're Orleans. We're going to
1: be, but... whatever.
0: Or New, <laughs> You're New Orleans.
1: Um, Dan and I are both going to be down there. And we decided that we were going to do a meet and greet. So anybody that is listening right now. We're going to have a day, I think we're looking at Tuesday night after the conferences, and we're going to get together. We can talk stories, we can talk the show, we can do whatever, but you guys can, we're going to make a time and a place specifically for you guys to come meet us, talk to us. So any of our listeners reach out and I will make sure that we get a location actually on the Facebook page. I think I know where we're going to do it, but um, things could change. So yeah, i they do. to be thinking about it. Yeah.
0: And we'll have stickers for you and maybe some other stuff. I might even buy you alcohol, but
1: yeah, that's maybe we'll yeah, have yeah. some, some snacks and just sit around and talk for the night and share war stories. You guys can ask us questions and give us some ideas for the show that you've been wanting to see.
0: And that, that, training in New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans is that's the animal care expo from HSUS. So we'll be there as students as well. And then I am presenting a science fair project. Um, (laughs) It's not the right word. (laughs) Uh, They have posters. It's I'm actually really looking forward to it. I don't know uh, what to expect, but I have my poster already done that I made into a blanket. Yes, because I want to keep it and it's easier to pack. So judge me all you want. Um, That's
1: not a poster. Posters are made out of paper.
0: Whatever, it's still the same concept. Okay. <sighs> anyway, so thank you for listening, Doc. Did we not touch on anything? You want to make sure our listeners hear before we wrap up the show.
2: No, I di- I, you know, just encourage anybody that you're working with. If you if you have a veterinarian, encourage them to look because you can learn. Just look. Mm-hmm. Help me learn.
0: Help you learn. Awesome. Tell your veterinarians to check out the website. Veterinary. Oh, I can't even talk. Uh, vetinvestigator.com again vetinvestigator.com to get in touch with Doc and we're going to have the book on our website and it sounds like we got a 20% discount code so stay tuned for that check out our website humane com and thanks for listening and as we always do on this show we like to say keep it
1: humane
0: humane (laughs) that's the best one yet